he could have given up. He could have thrown in the towel and just said, you know, enough is enough. I can't take it anymore. But Joey Chestnut did not give up. The Joey Chestnut is the, uh, this year won the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. But when he first entered into the contest, and he got really good at it, 2005 he made, he made you know, the stage, but he lost. He lost to the guy who hold, held the world record. 2006 he was back, and you know what, that year he lost again. And at that point, I don't know about you, but I've probably eaten enough hot dogs. But not Joey, no. At this point in time, 2007, he finally overcomes and he wins. And now he is the 16-time champion of the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. I don't know if you've ever watched this. You could go YouTube it. You might want to do it on an empty stomach. I'm just saying. But you won't, you won't want to eat hot dogs after this. But he, he is now today thought of as the best professional eater out there. Didn't know that was a title. Some of you can aspire to be that maybe one day. But... But he didn't give up. And today I want to talk about the idea of not giving up. Even when maybe the world would say it's time to give up. You're at the end. It's time to just throw in the towel what it looks like to not give up. Oh, well, I want to welcome you again this morning. You've been welcomed multiple times. My name is Kale Courtright, one of the ministers here. We're so glad that you have been here to worship with us, especially if you're one of our guests. And I want to say that you've seen just now what is Maybe not the most important, but very important to this church family, and that's the next generation. Is that we know it is one of our core tasks to hand down our faith to the next generation. It's why we put in so much time, and energy, resources, prayers. It's why we care so much about them. Because we know that all of this is great, but if we're not passing it down to the next generation, then we're not doing our job. And so we want to pass our faith down to them. And so I want you to, we mean it when we ask that you will continue to pray over our students as they go back to school, our teachers, our administrators. Uh, we're so thankful uh, for the job that you play. But please be in prayer for those students this year. Um, yes, for uh, that it's a great year. They make good friends. They, they're safe. They have good, you know, a great year at school. But also that they, this will be a year that they continue to know Jesus more and more. And that prayer isn't just for our elementary school, school students youth group we're praying for you as well we're with you as well also if you are or your kid maybe has already gone off to college we are in prayer over those students um, in school we we want to remind you that this is your home as you've also heard today this is your home church i know a lot of times it can feel like in church that that we're with you until you're 18 and then you're out of here and that we do not believe that this is your home if you're local this is your home if you're sent out somewhere else, and we are here for you. We are praying with you and over you. And as a reminder of that, we, have, we do have a gift for those that are going to college today. Anne, would you raise your hand? Just, uh, you see Ann Verner over here. If your kid has already gone back, parents come and see her. We have something from our church uh, that we want to give them as a reminder of not only their church family standing with them, but the God that goes with them as well. As Kyle mentioned, we've been talking about the life of Elijah and, you know, there's not actually that much in the Old Testament about Elijah, but he makes his mark. I mean, Elijah, of all the prophets, is the one that Jesus most models his ministry after. Elijah is the one thought of, if you think of what's the best prophet, they would, the New Testament Jew would have thought of Elijah. 
He represents all of the prophets. And so our story last week was the story of Mount Carmel. There's been lots of, of exciting things in Elijah's life, but this week is going to be a little bit different. And so let's just dive right in. 1 Kings chapter 19. The text will be on the screen behind me if you don't have a Bible with you today. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how Elijah had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went on a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. This story strikes me in a couple of ways. One, last week, in the moment right before this, Elijah was on top of Mount Carmel against 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, and I want to say that he beat them. He, of course, didn't. God is the one who won that day. But he just stood up in front of all of these people, and now he's running for his life. And what's interesting to me is he is afraid. Even after everything that he's seen, he is afraid. What is he afraid that's going to happen? He's afraid that Jezebel is going to put him to death because that's what Jezebel does. She puts prophets of God to death. So logically, what he says is, I don't want to die, so I'm going to run from the northern end of Israel to the southern end of Judah, and there, God, I would like to die. Which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Elijah is clearly not in a good place. If what he's afraid of is dying, why is he asking to die? He's in a difficult moment. I tell you where he's been because this is, this is what has happened. He just was battling, standing up to the prophets of Baal in the northernmost part of Israel. He traveled all through Israel, all through Judah. Now he's at the southern end of the kingdom of Judah. For all intents and purposes, he is beyond the reach of Jezebel. She has no power in Judah. But it's there that he hits this difficult moment. You know, it is a little surprising to me, as Kyle reminded you, he has seen God feed him through birds. He, he went to a widow's home where he saw her supplies replenished every day. He stood on top of Mount Carmel where he rebuilt the altar, fire descended, and took up all of the stones, all of the water, everything. He has seen God act, but now he's afraid. And look, I'm not making light of being afraid of a queen of a nation and when she is set out to kill you, but, she, but he is afraid. After everything that he's seen, he's afraid. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this story of Elijah, on one hand, I'm a little bit surprised. Because if, if the day before you've just seen fire descend from heaven, you might say, well, I'm pretty sure God can protect me. I think God can do anything after I've seen this. On the other hand, I'm also a little bit disappointed. Aren't you? I mean, Elijah is a hero of the faith. Elijah is a man of God. He's, I mean, when Jesus is transfigured, he's, it's, Elijah's there and Moses is there. I mean, this is the guy. But he's afraid, and he's running for it. And you know, this is one of the things I love about Scripture. If I were writing this book, I might leave this story out. Because this is a hero. And, and I don't want to leave this story in. 
The story of the hero who, who now is running away, who's scared, who is, is wishing that he no longer lived. That's how afraid he is. And that's what I love about Scripture, because this is a reality of life, is that Elijah is human, and you're human. And Elijah is having a human moment. He's in this moment of darkness, this moment of despair. Even though he's seen God act, but he's now in this deep, dark place. And we might read it and go, look at all that you've seen, Elijah. How can you feel this way? I think that's where Scripture is a mirror for us and goes, what have you seen? How has God acted in your life? Can't you resonate with Elijah? Haven't you had moments where, yes, on one hand, you've seen God act, but now you also are overcome by fear, by your own anxieties and worries? And I love that scripture shows us that. And the story continues. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then laid back down. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Elijah really wants to quit here, is really what's going on. Elijah does not want this job anymore, he doesn't want this role anymore, but, but God will not let him quit. And I think you probably can resonate with that also, that you've had moments in your life that you just want to quit. And this is a silly moment, but I remember when I took Hebrew at Abilene Christian, and I wanted to quit. It's hard. I don't know if you've ever seen Hebrew, but you read it the opposite direction. Nothing looks like anything in the alphabet that I know. It's very difficult. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to quit. And they said, well, then you're not going to graduate. I said, I've spent too much time and too much money on this right now to, to quit. I guess I got to keep going. Elijah wants to quit. I mean, he's, he's been running for it. He's run from the end of one country all the way to the bottom of the other. He is out this story, which you may have heard before, we oftentimes talk about it in terms of God's absence or God's presence. This story is not about that. This story is about Elijah and his desire to give up, his desire to quit in his mission, his calling as a prophet of God. Now, it's really dangerous for us to read scripture sometimes and, and imagine that we can think exactly what the character is thinking that we can have like a, a psychological insight. But in this case, our writer of scripture does give us an insight. See, they tell us specifically that he goes and he walks, he leaves his servant, he walks for a day, and he's in the wilderness. And it's there that he's under a single isolated tree, a broom bush. And it's, the writer is trying to give you an image that this is a person in a deep place of despair. That he is, that you might think that he might even be depressed. We're not sure, but that he is in a place of despair. All he sees is doom. He cannot see any hope on the horizon. This is the picture that we have of Elijah here. And I think it's not unfair to say that he's dealing with a form of depression. He's worn out. He is 
He's complaining. He doesn't want to live anymore. He refuses to eat. He has to be reminded by the angels of God to eat. And he's isolated and alone. And we can kind of look back on his story and realize that he's been alone most of his story. Most of the story, he is running from Ahab and Jezebel. What I love about this story, and one of the reasons I think that we have it, is because of God's response to this story. Elijah complains, he runs away, he is not where he's supposed to be, and God responds by feeding him, by encouraging him. What Elijah does not get is a divine rebuke. Elijah is not called weak. Elijah is not further degraded by God for where he is, but God instead encourages him and meets him where he is. It is a reminder that we will have human moments, that just like Elijah, we are human, and it's in those moments when we're not where we're supposed to be, when we've run away from God, that God meets us right where we are, that God stands with us in those moments, even when we're not where we're supposed to be. Now, this moment is supposed to remind you of Moses, because Moses in Exodus 33 and 34 is having his own difficult moment. The, the challenges of leadership have become very difficult for him. He just had the 10 plagues. He's done all of that. God led them out of Egypt, and he goes up to receive the 10 commandments. And what happens? But they start worshiping a golden idol, a calf. And he is tired of it. He's sick of it. And so Moses, for 40 days, goes up Mount Horeb, the same place that Elijah's at. And it's there that Moses says, God, I need to see your glory. I need you to show me your glory, to remind me of what I'm doing. Why am I here? And God says, while Moses is in the cleft of the rock, says, you, you can't see my face, but I will walk by. And I think Elijah's in the same place. The challenges of his calling have become very difficult for him. He's in the cleft of the rock. It's another way to say a cave. He says, I need to see your glory. I need to see your presence. We're supposed to be reminded of Moses here. And theologians like to believe that this same cave that Moses was in, that's the, the same cave where Elijah went to sleep. That they're in the same place, looking for the same thing, a reminder of who God is. Now I want to read the rest of the story here. That's a little bit long, but we need to hear it before we talk about it. So verse 9 of 1 Kings 19. The word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is going to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. 
I'm the only one left, and they're trying to kill me too. It's the same question and the same answer. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king of Aram, anoint Jehu king of Israel, and anoint Elisha to succeed you as a prophet. Jehu will put to death anyone who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. I love this story, and, and these are those moments that you wish that we could, we could do it justice in a movie, right? That we could see this story play out. Elijah is pretty used to, at this point, storms and fire. He just helped call down fire, and right after that, a, a great storm blew in. So he might be expecting that that's how God would show himself again. But our text says that it's a gentle whisper, which could be better translated as, it's the sound of silence. It's the sound of silence. So ever since God has called Elijah, there's been a storm going on. God came and through Elijah brought a drought. And since then, he's been pursued by Ahab, by Jezebel. Life has not been easy. There's been storms all around. And now Elijah's entering into the calm after the storm. That it's in this moment that God comes to him in the stillness in the quiet. It's the voice that calls him out, this soft, gentle voice. Yet Elijah is unimpressed by this. He's asked the same question, and he gives the exact same response. Have you ever, I never have, but have you ever stood at the Grand Canyon and just said, meh? <laughs> that, that's kind of what Elijah is doing. He's, he's witnessed so many acts from God, so many powerful things. He goes, eh. It reminds me of, of this bit I love a comedian does when he's on an airplane and, you know, they're at cruising altitude and the guy next to him in frustration just slams his laptop shut and he says, the internet is so slow up here. And he says, think about what you just said. We're at 35,000 feet and you're complaining that the internet's a little slow. If you thought about what was actually happening, you might be impressed. And I think that's kind of where Elijah is. You've just seen fire called down from heaven. You've seen this wind come in and shatter the mountains, tear the rocks apart ahead of God. And you are unimpressed. Elijah, again, this shows the humanness of where he is. He's in such a deep, dark place that even the powerful acts of God are not pulling him out of that. That he needs something more. He needs purpose. He needs task, a task to do. So God tells Elijah, you're in one wilderness, you're in the desert, but you're not in the right place. See, this was not my idea to send you here. So it's time to go back. It's time to go to the desert of Damascus. See, church, there are tasks to be done and they, they are to be done away from the security of the cave. Places that will take us into the wilderness. So for those who follow God, there's work to do. That God has changed our missions, our purposes, our jobs. He gives us work to do. Now what I don't mean is that everyone should go quit their job tomorrow because God is giving you a task to do. I'm not so sure that God 
always care so much if you work here or you work here, there. But what I do know is that when you choose to follow God, when you become a disciple of Jesus, how you go to work has to change. You might work in the same place, but your purpose for being there is different. That's what God, I think, is teaching Elijah here. I'm not letting go of your purpose. You are to be my prophet. But what he does do is he starts to put in place some other things that he needs. We start to lay the groundwork for Elisha. I'll give you somebody else to work with you. How you go to work matters. And that's because God, our God, is the, is the best father that you know. And, and no human father would say, you know what, this is where you work. It doesn't matter what you think. Some people might say that. But we don't typically say that, do we? Instead, as, as parents, we go, what do you like? What are you good at? What, what gives you energy? And, and God says the same thing. I'm going to use you in a place that you can flourish, but for my purposes. It's not just your purpose. It's for his purpose. But in this moment, Elijah feels completely alone. He says it. They're putting to death all of your prophets. I'm the only one left. They're trying to kill me too. And to that, God just says, you don't know what you're talking about. He says, there are 7,000 who never bent the knee, who never worshiped Baal. I think 7,000 is symbolic. Seven is is a perfect number to God. 7,000, I think God's trying to say, there's a bunch of people that are not worshiping Baal. Elijah, you don't know what you're talking about. Your despair, the place that you're in, has caused you not to see the truth that is ahead of you, that there are many people. You aren't alone. Again, Elijah has seen God act in a lot of ways, in some big ways. I think that's what he was getting used to. And I think, church, that you've seen God act those ways before too, haven't you? But the truth is that God acts in a lot of quiet ways also. This is why our prayer needs to regularly be, God, give me eyes to see your presence. Give me eyes to see you at work here and now. If we're just waiting for those big moments, we might be waiting a while. But God has never left you. See, Elijah thinks he's alone, and I bet you some of you walked in here today and you felt alone too. And we, as a church family, do not want you to feel that way. This is why the other thing you see here today is about our Connect Group ministry, that we truly believe that life is better connected, that you need other people. You need to be connected on that. As I said earlier, this story is not about God's absence or presence, because if you have eyes to see, you'll see that God never left Elijah. That yes, he showed up through the ravens in the ravine. He showed up at the widow's house. And even in this story, when Elijah has gone off to die under the tree, he says his angel shows up not once, but twice to wake him up, to sustain him. He runs off to Mount Horeb and there God shows up, not once, but twice, speaking to him, why are you here? In the midst of that, he, said, he shows Elijah his glory. Church, the truth for you is the same as Elijah. You are not alone. You never have been alone. God is with you, and so is God's church. He never left you. He will never leave you. It is a promise that he makes to us in Scripture, and God does not, make, does not break his promises. He is with you. He never left you. I think, just as I said earlier, Jesus resembles a lot of what Elijah does. 
I think Jesus lives out this same story, that we see the human moments of Jesus as well. If you remember, Jesus goes to the garden before he's arrested. And it's in the garden that he shows us his humanness. He says, God, I don't want to do this. If you can find another way, I want the other option. It's the same as Elijah, except Elijah runs. But Jesus doesn't run. Because Jesus, Jesus is, is God also. Jesus is, was our perfect Lord and Savior. So though he shows his humanness, he doesn't run like Elijah runs. He's reminded of the task that God has set before him. He has a purpose, and he's not going to let down that purpose. But church, even Jesus in the garden, he doesn't go alone. Jesus, in his humanness and in that difficult moment, he brings his three best friends with him. And church, I can promise you, if in his human moments Jesus needed people, you're going to need people. You can't run off by yourself and expect to, be, to hold to the task that God has for you without his church. That you need other people with you. And so as we close today, our shepherds and their wives will be around the room. Our invitation to you is to pray with you, is to be with you. And it doesn't, doesn't end here today, but as a church family, we commit to being with you. And the question that I want to leave you today is, I think, the same question that God gives Elijah. Why are you here? Why are you here? See, he says to Elijah, you're not supposed to be here. I had a different purpose for you. And I think he says the same thing to you and to me. Why are you here? God has a purpose for you, and the world needs to see a church family encouraged and living in the Spirit go out these doors for His purpose. So ask yourself that this week, as you go back to school, as you go back to the workplace, as you go to the grocery store, wherever it is you go, ask yourself, why am I here? I'm here to serve the purposes of God for the glory of God. That is our hope and our prayer for you today. If we can pray with you or help you in any other way, see one of our shepherds as we stand and sing.